Welcome to Me and the Geek. I'm me, Joel Sharpton. That's The Rogue's Life on Twitter. You can follow me there. And every week here on Me and the Geek, we have a weekly geekly conversation with a different geek for a peek into their geeky world. This week, in particular, we're going to be continuing our discussion about The Avengers Age of Ultron, the second film in the gigantic Avengers franchise, part of the Marvel Cinematic Universe. And I just want to warn you up front, there are spoilers from the very beginning of this conversation. If you haven't heard part one, if you haven't seen the movie, this episode probably not for you, but we're joined again by Kyle Sweeney. You can follow him on Twitter at Kyle is funny. And we're talking in depth uh, about more of this movie here. Uh, we talk a lot about uh, Scarlet Witch and Quicksilver. We talk about Ultron and uh, a little bit more about the vision, but then we also talk about the MCU moving. These fingers crossed paprika burgers. Big day today. Jamie gets his exam results. I hope he's done okay. He's worked so hard. So I'm making my paprika burgers for when he gets home. They were lucky last time. I add red onion and paprika to the mince. Then I top with jalapenos. Well? Make your own burgers with our Tesco finest Aberdeen Angus beef. Food Love Stories, brought to you by Tesco forward and some of the things that we think might be coming up in the upcoming films. Uh, Civil War, of course, next year, Ant-Man later this summer, uh, season three of Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., and so on. So if you are all caught up with Avengers Age of Ultron, and if you've already heard part one of our discussion of that movie, then feel free to continue with this episode of Me and the Geek. Speaking to Quicksilver specifically in his death, if it turns out that he is one of the parts of this movie that really hits for the audiences. And you know that Disney is not only seeing what all of us are saying in podcasts and blogs, but also they're tracking social media. They're they're testing audiences. They will know exactly which parts of this movie were the most successful, and therefore uh, they will amp up those parts in their upcoming slate. You know, that's the way they work. So let's say that Quicksilver is a big hit and that people want to see more of him. There are about a million ways out of the comics they could use to bring him back. Several already introduced in this film, and and you already mentioned a couple. But the big one that lies looming is uh, Quicksilver has in the comics a connection to the Infinity Stones, or or the gems now, as they've been mentioned in this film. And uh, I think there is the possibility to bring his character in, again, as a villain, sort of as a pawn of Thanos first and then in the end, he could be one of the keys uh, for the good guys being able to to win out over the Mad Titan. Sure, sure. Yeah, there's definitely options there. And ultimately, uh, I don't know, my heart still wants death to mean something in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Because right now, it's just a bunch of fake outs. And uh, oddly enough, it seems even more so than the comic book world. <laughs> uh, because the only people who've died, or at least that we think are dead are supervillains uh, who never came back. Um, every, every hero who's died has come back in some form. Um, I guess Frida uh, from Thor The Dark World is dead and sent off on her uh, canoe trip to, the, <laughs> to further death, uh, whatever that means. Um, but beyond that, there has not been a meaningful death for uh, Loki now twice over. Um, Coulson, of course, came back for the TV series. Uh, Quicksilver's dead now, but, you know, who knows? Uh, So I'm hoping that does kind of get a chance to stick, just so that, again, there's something that does mean something uh, when it comes to death in these, uh, death and stakes in these larger 
uh, movies. Meanwhile, uh, his twin, Wanda, is not only um, empowered in that moment of, uh, I don't know, rah-rah speechifying from Hawkeye uh, enough to go out and actually fight Ultron and join the Avengers in that moment, but she joins the new Avengers, the lineup that we see at the end of this movie. And so your status quo of the MCU, and that's about the, the conversation that we're going to transition into now, but what you imagine is just as there were missions before this film with this current team, you imagine starting today, now that Avengers Age of Ultron has happened, this new squad of Avengers, the Vision, War Machine, uh, Scarlet Witch, Black Widow, Captain America, and Falcon, that's going to be the team that's going out and busting heads in the missions that we don't see on Tuesday nights with Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. Right, and one of the interesting things is when you look at that roster, you have War Machine and Falcon and Captain America that are soldiers. And then you have uh, Black Widow, who's a spy. And then you have Vision and Scarlet Witch, who are kind of, I guess, uh, obviously the newbies because they've just been introduced uh, in this movie. But uh, also the sort of wild cards that are like, well, they, they are both the most powerful members of the team. Everybody else is essentially a uh, glorified human with either a suit of armor or a suit that flies with wings or... Uh, slightly enhanced uh, Captain America, of course, uh, Black Widow, all human. So it's weird because it brings the power set on a whole, I think, for the team down, but then still gives you two heavy hitters, one who's very unsure of herself in Scarlet Witch and Vision, uh, one that is kind of still nebulous. I mean, we know he's for life and uh, will help fight and defend the world within that and, and humanity as a whole, but... Uh, uh, He's otherworldly in the sense that he's not human and he's still just uh, taking it all in and, and, and making his own assumptions about life, uh, which is kind of interesting. Uh, we're recording this the, let's see, the Monday before the Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. episode following up on Age of Ultron. So we don't know exactly the answers to this, but th what you and I have both agreed on is this this. Uh, facility that we see at the end of this film, the new Avengers headquarters and uh, Avengers sort of academy is what it looks like almost because you do see trainees, not just the main team, but you see other people in sort of uniforms, right? Definitely, definitely. And I, it seems like the Avengers brand, as it were, is now kind of overarching to its own sort of smaller shield kind of grouping because you do have Nick Fury on the base. You do have Eric Selvig uh, sort of heading up some, uh, I guess, research and development of, uh, of certain things in this place. So um, they're, they're obviously the, uh, not the cannon fodder, but lots of normal humans and agents who have uh, made the cut to, to work on this sort of more elite version of S.H.I.E.L.D. under the, I don't know if it's technically the new Avengers or if it's just Avengers as a whole uh, sort of banner up here in uh, upstate New York, which is kind of a nice-looking little facility. So let's talk about that idea, the Avengers as a brand. Do you think it's possible that we don't see a renewal of Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., and instead what we get is a Secret Avengers Season 1, which just so happens to feature the main cast? All you would need for that, you wouldn't even need a Captain America cameo, which is what I want on Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. I want to see Cap 
introduced to the reborn Coulson. I want to see them uh, sort of make peace with each other and for Cap to see this is a guy that he can trust as they begin to rebuild whatever the organization needs to be. He, he mentions even at the end of Age of Ultron, Cap says, this is what S.H.I.E.L.D. should have been. And I think why don't you get rid of the shield brand at least ostensibly at least for a little while and instead those are the guys that you don't see on tv in the highlight reel these are the guys that we don't see movies made about these are the ones that everyone doesn't know their name these are the secret avengers and that's colson and quake uh with daisy johnson now uh taken over uh for sky the uh, sky that we've known for the last couple of years and that could be mockingbird that could be deathlock all these other additions, and then even bringing in potentially down the road some of the defenders. Anyway, I think there's the possibility for a complete rebranding of our show. That's super interesting. I mean, obviously, I think sometimes it'd be harder to sort of rebrand a show that's now two seasons in, and I'd say going relatively strong, unless it was like Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. colon Secret Avengers or New Avengers or some some sort of tag onto that. But you're absolutely right. The... I guess connecting those in, in a way that uh, the simplest way is to have another Nick Fury cameo or uh, what we all prefer seeing Captain America, just stop, step by on the, the small screen, have a, have a nice quick chat with Coulson connect so that we know that he knows he's alive. And then you can keep on with the idea that for movie audiences and for general audiences, Coulson is, is dead. And that's sort of what, Joss Whedon even uh, said in one of the interviews leading up to Age of Ultron, we don't have Coulson stop by. It's too confusing for people who don't tune into the TV show. We have to explain that he's alive again. And you can't just do it with a line or else it, it sort of undermines the previous movie and the dramatic moment. Now, everybody who tunes, in, tunes into the show loves Coulson, loves that he's back. We, we get to have our cake and eat it too, sort of. But we won't see him specifically dropping by any of the movie franchises for the foreseeable future. Um, and we might have one of his, uh, his lieutenants from Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. swing by, but that didn't even happen this time. Obviously, there were way too many characters to try and give service to. <laughs> but it's interesting. It's interesting. You'd want that to connect somehow. And the idea of sort of a fringe, or not even fringe, but an even more secretive aspect of this new Avengers brand, or even if they're going to continue as agents of shield, like that they are folded in, in some small way to know that again, it's all connected. I think going into civil war, we need our small community here to connect to that directly. We need that rebranding. And here's the other thing too. Let's be honest. Agents of shield has improved a lot creatively. It has not improved dramatically in the ratings. It got beat last week by the flash. That is ridiculous, sir. The CW has really never had heavy hitters that could go against uh, our regular scheduled uh, networks there. But this is, uh, yeah, this is kind of a, uh, it's a little bit of a, The Flash isn't a bad show. It's just not great. <laughs> uh, it, it fits it within that sort of mold of Arrow. It's a little bit more lighthearted than that, but it, it's weird that that is competing and beating Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., which is connected to this much larger tapestry that is so well enjoyed i'm calling my shot i'm calling with this episode may not come out before tuesday night so maybe it won't sound like i'm a genius but i'm saying right now 
next season we're going to have you put you put Nick Fury on the video screen in five episodes throughout the 22 uh, of the total season okay so occasionally he drops in and gives you a little intel on the mission it's it's less than a day's worth of work for Sam all he has to do is put on the eye patch and stand in front of a camera you know and then you you drop in you start the season with an appearance by War Machine you end the season with an appearance by The Vision again a completely CGI creation Paul Bettany doesn't even have to be there to speak if you don't want him to and you make it connected directly to what's going on in the big films you make it a true part of the larger universe and that leads to where i want to transition right now the gripes about the film you and i have both gushed about it this whole episode we love it obviously but let's talk about some of the things that were wrong with the film and this is my first one and my biggest one right at the end nick fury shows up and says i had some friends help me get them get this out of the mothballs and and he's talking about the helicarrier. Now, that may well be a reference to Agent Coulson and his team on TV. And I understand Joss Whedon's comments in recent interviews that, that the audience, the movie audience, doesn't understand if they don't watch the TV show. And it won't make sense to bring him in without really explaining how you brought him back from the dead. That's fine. But you had literally the guy pushing the buttons on the helicarrier is this is the guy from the one scene in Winter Soldier who refused to to push the buttons for crossbones. And I'm sure he's done lots of things for Nick Fury in the interim. So that's great that you brought that guy back. But I'm saying you've got a whole cast of people who who. All you have to do is have them in the background, put them on set for 15 minutes. You could have, you don't have to use Sky. You could have used Fitz or Simmons. You could have used anybody. You could have used Melinda May, anybody from our team, anybody from our little show, just to verify, yes, this is all in the same universe. They continue to treat it like the redheaded stepchild. Daredevil doesn't feel that way. Why does Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D.? I think Daredevil has the opportunity to live off in its own place in hell's kitchen that isn't uh isn't butting up heads against the avengers in any way because he's he's small time it's weird uh, part of me really enjoyed the status quo shift in agents of shield season one once shield collapsed and then you had for the first time a group that didn't have the infinite resources of the shield organization it was a really ragtag group of people who were doing the right thing uh and they were outnumbered and outgunned and uh, everything was sloppy because you didn't know who to trust. Like it was at that point that I think uh, agents of shield as a show really started working for me because, uh, because they were scrappy, they had to be, and they were still doing the right thing. Um, And we followed that into season two where that, that sort of status quo continued, although things grew a little bit uh, organically, but still shield was a shadow of its former self. Uh, but a bright shadow, that seems weird. <laughs> a bright light for all of mankind, uh, to borrow a phrase from Avengers. Um, but then now that we've seen that there are even more, more S.H.I.E.L.D. people, I kind of like Coulson and his crew being disconnected, whether by choice or by uh, just needing to be covert in the eyes of uh, the larger and more grand universe. The one thing, like logistically, having somebody to show up on the, the, the bridge of that helicarrier could have been great, but there would have had to have been, uh, in the next episode of Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., a reference to that or to say, oh, I'm glad we just got back from uh, that you know, middle European country. And uh, now, where were we with the Inhumans and all this stuff happening on the base? So it would be a little clunky 
it was nice. The last episode of Agent Shield did kind of conclude with a nice, like we've wrapped up this uh, Hydra base, taking out uh, uh, Doctor List, uh, who we, we see in Agents of uh, or not Agents of Shield, uh, we see in Age of Ultron uh, for that first scene. But ultimately, like Shield concludes their latest storyline and is about to branch off into. I assume this war with the Inhumans, or at least this sect of Inhumans uh, that live in afterlife. Um, Gosh, this is going to completely lose somebody who's not paying attention to the show. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) But that's okay. I think we're explaining it enough and just enough detail to confuse you. And that's important. You should check it out the entire season. It's available on iTunes uh, right now. Go check it out in season two of Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. Hey, it's also it's also available with the like the abc.com app, I think. Uh at least like almost all of the recent episodes and towards the end of the season a lot of times they allow you to do like a marathon, you can catch up on all of them. Long story short, Agents of Shield uh season 1, pretty good. Season 2, even better. Check it out. We really uh we really can't uh tell you to check out all the Marvel things enough. Uh but yeah, I I do register that like ah, you just want that little bit more of a connection. Um, but I'm, I'm also happy that we're getting Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. No, I agree. I agree. I just want it to be a two-way street. A two-way street. The, I think the idea of, of seeing Deathlock uh, or Mockingbird showing up in Civil War, I see that as being a, a, not a more for sure thing, but like a definitive possibility for that scene when you have a bunch of enhanced characters and you don't need to explain who everybody is, but you can tell everybody kind of has their own thing going on and Cap's giving a nice rousing speech or Iron Man's giving a rousing speech uh, for his uh, cause. That's, that's the connection I'm, I'm waiting to see. Somebody uh, who's been on the show but hasn't been a focal point or a main cast member. I think that's where the connections can happen a little bit more freely without infringing on one or the other. But boy, oh boy, give me, give me some more Coulson. I'm just waiting for him to rub shoulders with a big, big character again. <laughs> I know I agree strongly with that. Uh, you got any other, uh, you got any big gripes? Uh, no, I mean, I, again, like we said at the very beginning, like the pacing on this goes so quickly, even though it is a two and a half hour movie. I just, I wanted to, ha- I wanted to see a few more of those moments. And again, the, the, the longer version of this might not be my favorite version of the movie, but I want to see that because I know there's more, there's more to like almost every scene must've cut pieces as well as entire scenes or moments that were trimmed the completionist in me wants to see that full tapestry you know just for my uber nerd purposes and i bet there are things that i'd be like oh man you should have kept that i just sat in the theater for another five to ten minutes just to include this cool moment or this uh this this just emotional story beat uh to give that a little bit more weight uh whatever that might be throughout the course of it it makes me both wonder, but also it makes me think maybe they're already ahead of us about the structure of this entire franchise. And I mean the Marvel Cinematic Universe, which, by the way, just yesterday, the returns made this the most successful movie franchise of all time. It just passed the Harry Potter series. It's up into the seven point six or seven point seven billions now, I think, and rising, of course. And the pace at which they're releasing films in this franchise is much higher than any of the others. So uh, Star Wars may eventually catch back up to it because uh, they're going to ramp up production eventually too. But it's the Star Wars is the only one with a chance, I think, of ever catching it. You know, the DCC universe is, is so far away from a full ramp. I think we may be tired of superheroes by the time they really get uh, fully open. But anyway, 
this the structure of the next couple of phases of the Marvel Cinematic Universe. It seems to me as if they they understand that it felt really awkward for Iron Man three to not feature Captain America or the Hulk. They understand that it was weird that in Thor, uh, the Dark World, when London is being destroyed, none of Thor's buddies showed up to help other than Dr. Selvig. <laughs> and I think from now on, we aren't going to see any of the original sort of group in a solo film without a crossover like we're already promised in Civil War. I mean, we know Robert Downey Jr. is going to be a center point of that storyline. And I think that's going to be the case for all of the remaining films that we get, no matter how there, how many more there, there may be in the future. I think we will only get event pictures with those. And they will become their own little mini franchises right alongside the Avengers franchise that you can sort of guarantee a billion dollars or more for that movie. While you get the introduction of these new characters. And those characters can have smaller stories, uh, less universal or cosmic implications for the bad guy and the potential you know, downfall if the hero doesn't save the day. And you don't have to explain away the absence of a Steve Rogers or a Tony Stark or a Bruce Banner because they've got bigger fish to fry. You know, when we when we get to the Black Panther, is it going to be weird if Tony Stark is not right in the middle of everything? To me, it's not at all. The same thing goes for the Captain Marvel story. If we got a smaller Avengers film, this is the one of the reasons why I went with the secret Avengers idea earlier. What if we got a whole new Avengers franchise that they haven't announced these movies yet, but I think maybe they're already on the schedule somewhere. What if we got a new film with this new team that you see? You don't even have to have Captain America in it other than a cameo. You could just focus on Scarlet Witch and Vision and, and War Machine and uh, uh, Falcon, whether that be a small-time crime operation taking somebody down, you know, or whether it be some sort of alien uh, invasion or altercation or a, a further event that happens because of what we see in the Civil War film with Captain America. Anyway, I think you're about to see a real sort of expansion, an explosion of the kinds of properties that Marvel can introduce because of the way this film is structured. And I think it was sort of brilliant. Right. I think there's definitely the idea of using the Avengers in a new way. Uh, just looking at Age of Ultron, it's such a big movie. I feel like it's bigger than uh, the first Avengers. But the idea of just having the same group of people plus their uh, uh, auxiliary sort of, or not auxiliary, uh, ancillary characters coming in as well, it, it's going to make the Avengers super bloated and uh the only way to change that is to change the status quo let thor have to go figure out this ragnarok stuff this this oncoming uh apocalypse that is threatening uh perhaps earth as well as uh you know uh the the nine realms or whatever uh iron man is going on the back seat he's 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 not going to be uh, a part of the avengers and that's good he said he's not They've obviously got a team in place that he doesn't have to feel compelled to jump in. Um, so he's taken his little leave, which, of course, he will <laughs> come back for Civil War. Um, but you have this opportunity to let Captain America, who's the most plugged in character, yeah, lead this new team, uh, whether it be a separate adventure, whether it be 
uh, you know, a, a smaller thing, or just to know that they've been, this is your Avengers team that's taking care of stuff until we get to Infinity War, even if you don't see another film. That's, that's the thing that's kind of fun and engaging and exciting to, to take a look at. And who knows? I think more of these standalone people, people that would not re regularly rub shoulders with uh, the Avengers uh, big three, I think the more we see of them and the more we get introduced to those people, whether it is a movie or a Netflix series or a new ABC series or an Ant-Man next month or two months from now, woo! <laughs> like that's, it's just widening the universe while still keeping your pillars in place. Uh, it does make me wonder exactly what is going to be the world situation when Ant-Man takes place. Like, is, is there any reaction in that film to the events of Age of Ultron? Is that one of the reasons why Hank Pym steps forward and says, now nah, I got to take this power back out of this guy's hands? Is that the reason why Darren Cross is interested in selling the PIM technology, apparently, uh, you know, across the world, because people are trying to defend themselves from, you know, the next Ultron dropping a meteor. Um, Could be some really good uh, government contracts on the line for PIM Industries. You never know. Uh, let's do a couple of our favorite things about the movie, sort of our favorite moments. My first one isn't a moment. It's an overall plot line. But it, it needs to be noted. And I haven't heard it. I've, I've listened to a lot of reviews. I've read a lot of reviews. Nobody has mentioned this. Ultron has what, in my opinion, is the most sane and reasonable bad guy plan of any superhero movie I've ever seen. He, he wants to destroy humanity, and the way that he's going to do that is through a meteor. And you can't wait on a meteor. That takes too long. I'll make a meteor. How does he make a, how does he make a meteor? He's going to take a country, a country that nobody knows because it doesn't actually exist, so nobody will be offended by this. Although, I, I don't know, uh, uh, you know, Boris and Natasha might be offended, for, uh, might be offended from Rocky and Bullwinkle. Uh, but anyway, so he takes this imaginary country and he's going to raise it up into the air. How's he going to do that? With vibranium, this, this metal that we've already spent effectively 12 movies now uh, discussing exactly how hard and amazing a metal it is. And he's going to uh, put it all on a platter and raise it up into space. And, and it's, it's brilliant. It's a great plan. It would have worked, too, if it hadn't been for those meddling kids, you know? <laughs> yes, definitely. Yeah, for me, I think there's a lot of the way that both Ultron and the Vision were handled as far as, like, creating an AI and introducing these bigger, wider aspects of kind of comic book lore and into a, a reality-ish based sort of universe that seems to have be grounded uh, in the, the very most base ways, if not all the superhero powers and stuff like that. Um, but you get to be introduced to this killer robot and then this new sort of godlike AI being uh, the vision in a way that it's not like we are tinkering in the lab and, oh, no, we've created a monster. It happens in a way that, oh, no, it makes, makes sense. They're doing the big computer uh, hologram thing and just trying different variations and models. It's not really working. And then there's sort of a glitch in the system. Ultron is born. Ultron wants to create a better body for himself. So, of course, he uses the things that they've introduced in the movie, like this uh, skin tissue regenerator adding some vibranium into that to create a brand new, nearly indestructible body. Great, 
Vision's body is made, and now it's you're you're putting Jarvis inside that body, uh, and he's a new being. He's not just Jarvis. He's he's the the sort of AI reborn uh, version of Jarvis plus uh, the kind of tech that was already in this body and has been created to something new. Like the way all that stuff was handled, I was so worried how clunky that that would be to a general audience. But it plays in such a way that it's like, oh yeah, no, of course. And then the shorthand of uh, Vision picking up the hammer of Thor uh, and okay, yep, he's worthy. We don't have to worry about this guy. Uh, it was a nice and just sort of brilliant, I think, quick shortcut to get get us on board with this this character who has had very little screen time to be like, all right, nope, let's go into this final battle. I'm really excited now that we have this sort of filled out team for the new Avengers movie. Let's go. Yeah, we've. I, I think I've already uh, slobbered a little bit on uh, Vision and what a wonderful portrayal it is. But like, he is really brought to life in such an amazing way. Ultron is great too, and I have not given Spader credit. Spader's performance here is truly, truly noteworthy. He's great in everything, but he comes through this robot in such a way that it's absolutely alarming. If you look at the just his lips, for instance. Like, it's so obvious that that's Spader's disdain. Just if you've watched The Blacklist or if you've watched Boston Legal or if you've spent any time uh, watching James Spader in anything, for that matter, you are very familiar with his, with, with his dismissals. And Ultron is very much channeling Spader in a big, bad way. The other thing that I think is interesting, though, is that Spader channels both Tony Stark and Ultron's other uh, surrogate father, Bruce Banner. There are moments where he both uh, channels uh, the Hulk's rage and and Banner's uh, fatalism, which is kind of interesting, as well as Tony Stark's quips and his general uh, superiority complex, and you know so many interesting parts to his portrayal. And and I haven't said enough about him, so I, I had already applauded Vision. Let's applaud uh, Ultron as well. You're right. Um, the, the one thing that I've been super excited about is just seeing a handful of these action sequences that were done in the style of that, uh, that sort of major sequence in the first Avengers where you're flying around this, the battle of New York, going from character to character to seeing what each one is individually doing within the context of this big fight that happens, uh, in the opening scene as we're flying around this, uh, sort of, uh, again, this, this, uh, Eastern uh, European country, uh, the, the team's in the snow and they're fighting the bad guys and you get to see all these different approaches at handling these sort of grunt soldiers to kind of take them out, uh, ranging all the way from just shooting some more arrows to Hulk smashing bunkers uh, and, and Captain America throwing his bike. It's all just a lot of fun to see that happen. And then again, mirrored at the end in, in the sort of Act 3 fight, they're all protecting the sort of detonator for this uh, giant city drop <laughs> meteor premise. Um, and you're, you're flying around in a, a very enclosed circle, um, which again mirrors the hero shot of all, all the Avengers standing in a circle and doing that 360 around them in the first movie. It's that, but they're all doing their utmost action to knock out as many of these Ultron drones that are trying to hit that detonator. And... Uh, Seeing that and seeing how complicated that that was uh, just really got me going into the nerdgasm territory. Um, the action definitely felt like overall it was mu much more heightened throughout the entire thing 
and just bigger. All right, so let's uh, let's put it into context. Uh, all right, have there? I keep I keep going back and forth. Have there been eleven now, or is this the twelfth MCU film? I think I think Winter Soldier was ten, and then Guardians of the Galaxy was eleven, and this is twelve. But I'm, I my count may be off. Uh, anyway, let's let's put them into context. First of all, before this movie came out, what was your favorite film? What was your number one MCU movie? I don't know if it's because it was the most uh, one of the more recent ones, but Captain America: Winter Soldier had been my new sort of top of the barrel beating out the first Avengers, uh, like, you know, by, by just a little, just a shoulder above that one. Again, Avengers was the big time we got everybody together. And obviously that's, that's going to be a hard one to beat. But the, the, the way that we were able to step away from an Avengers franchise into Captain America Winter Soldier and, and seeing Cap as a more or less a glorified shield agent and then going on the run, like the way that it was handled as a whole, I think, easily made it take the top spot of the MCU movies for me. Uh, I'm pretty close with you. I, I've got a Winter Soldier in the top spot, and it is because not only is it my favorite of the MCU movies, it's the best film of this universe, and it was because of that great spy storyline. They really took the you know three days of the Condor idea, and, and they ran with it, and it, and it turned out wonderfully. Um, after that, though, I've actually moved Guardians of the Galaxy in. The more times I watch it, the more I love this film. And it's got all of the great moments that you get in the Avengers, those moments where the team comes together and you're so excited to see these um, straight from the comic book images, you know, before your eyes in live action. It's got all of those, but it's a tighter story. I felt overall the characters are a little more lovable for some reason in that film than they are in the Avengers, even though you've had longer to live with those characters so but guardians of the galaxy goes to second place and then i've got the avengers now what what's your least favorite mcu movie <sighs> that's hard i i mean i feel bad but it might be uh might be thor one i remember that one uh, i guess that and iron man 2 just both while fine innocuous films in and of themselves just didn't do the same things that say iron man did or that the first captain america did for me uh, I know you're not so so high on Captain America: First Avenger, but because it introduces us to Cap and and uh, sort of harkens back at least slightly to those uh, more pulpy Indiana Jones World War II era adventures, like it's it artificially bumps itself up a great deal on my end. I I agree almost wholeheartedly. Actually, Captain America has rise has has risen a lot in my estimation. Uh, so I, and I pretty much agree for my least two favorites and it's not that I hate them. I watch both films occasionally, but the original Thor and Iron Man two, neither one, uh, just nail everything the way almost every other MCU film has Thor, the dark world. I didn't absolutely adore, but there's so much in that that's important to the overarching story. And, you know, I heard interesting commentary from the guys behind the defenders TV cast. If you like the Netflix series, the daredevil Netflix series, or if you're going to watch any of these other Netflix series, I would strongly recommend them. There's interesting podcasts out of uh, Ireland, and they break down those series episode by episode. They also reviewed Age of Ultron. One of the things that they talked about, though, they were discussing the fact that they really see the MCU as a whole product. And overall, it is so supremely satisfying that any one film is almost hard for them to actually judge how much they enjoyed it. They were, they were trying to rate Age of Ultron, and they were like, well... I didn't get the same bubbly feelings as I got when I watched Avengers, but there's so much forward momentum on this 
for this overarching storyline that I am so engrossed in and I can't wait to see the next episode of. And it's such a satisfying feeling every time I get another, you know, another installment. That's exactly the way that I feel. So it's really hard for me to almost separate movie to movie, episode to episode in the series. It's hard to maintain that critical eye because I turn into a fanboy, not just a fanboy, but I, I go back to those few times in my life when I've been a comic book collector and have been jumping issue to issue, you know, you, you finish that last page and you gotta have the next one. And it's a whole month, man. It's a whole month to wait. But the bar I think overall for the MCU is set pretty high. And it's just like, if it doesn't quite get up above that bar and it doesn't do a, a something drastically cool, like a guardians of the galaxy or an Avengers or a winter soldier or an Avengers age of Ultron, it's still okay, and it's, yeah, it is pushing the general uh, product forward. Um, it's weird. I guess I keep forgetting that Incredible Hulk is, is a, an MCU movie, which, again, I like, but that one might be my, in the, in the bottom three for me as well. Oh, I like, I like it a lot better than uh, Iron Man 2. I like it a lot better than the original Thor. Uh, I have a soft spot, though, for Edward Norton, and I, I liked... So many of the things they did in that film, there's a couple of really like fan uh, rewarding moments at the end of the film, especially in the fight against uh, Abomination. And while Abomination, I didn't think was a great portrayal or a wonderful villain really to pull out in that first film, I would not mind seeing him again. And I think Tim Roth uh, does a fine enough job. I think if you gave him a little something more to chew on as far as uh, Abomination's motivations for whatever particular plot you involved him in. He could make interesting, he could make an interesting bad guy. Well, at this point, he's a giant mon CG monster, so you could just get somebody to growl for him and it'd be fine. <laughs> well, I mean, yeah, but I, he, he was able to speak and speak in, you know, he maintained his intelligence in that film, whereas Banner had lost his largely. And so, but but, you know, the, the moments where you get the hand shock waves where he puts out a fire, you know, just several great moments in that end fight. So I like The Incredible Hulk quite a lot. What is your prediction for the next step of the Marvel Cinematic Universe? Where is Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. Season 2 going to leave us hanging as we wait for Ant-Man? You know, uh, I imagine it's going to be something drastic as we move into this uh, two-hour season finale. Uh, so... Really, anybody can tell. We're dealing with the Inhumans. We're dealing with potentially some fallout from the uh, Age of Ultron uh, debacle. <laughs> I say debacle in terms of creating Ultron and him trying to destroy the Earth, not in terms of the movie being a debacle. So, yeah, I mean, again, it, I kind of feel like it's anyone's game. We, we're either going to get folded in or we're going to get folded away <laughs> even more from the central MCU movies uh, as they move forward. But uh, I'm excited. I'm excited to see that. I'm excited to see Ant-Man in two months where we get, dare I say, a more comedy-minded superhero film that, uh, in my mind, might kind of bring us back to what an Iron Man 1 feeling is with the wonderful talents of Paul Rudd and Michael Douglas. I, I, uh, I, I anticipate enjoying that, and I've gotten a lot more excited about it as uh, we've sort of ramped up and started seeing bits and pieces from it. Uh, ever since being very disappointed by Edgar Wright's departure. So I'm, I'm excited to see that. And then, again, Civil War's coming. We have all these individual films for uh, some new people, Doctor Strange, uh, followed up by the, the real deal, the, the introduction of Avengers Infinity War, uh, part one and part two. <laughs> and that's not to mention Spider-Man. We're getting Spider-Man, dude. <laughs> as well as an animated Spider-Man in that universe and potentially still 
uh, Sinister Six and other things down the line. So hopefully these are handled correctly and and do fit in in a positive way to the MCU, which I can't see us dropping uh, or MCU. Uh, I can't see Marvel Studios dropping the ball on Spider-Man. I think it's just going to be pretty good. And Drew Goddard, again, is one of the big reasons that I think I like Daredevil so much is what he brought to the table before he had to move on. Um, now, the the animated uh, Spider-Man film, I believe, is not going to be set in the MCU. I think the, the, the wording from the executive was that it was going to go alongside the new live-action film in the MCU, but, but would not uh, the storylines wouldn't connect each other. I, I'm, what I'm imagining is they, they effectively just won't bother each other. You know, the whatever happens in the animated film won't negate anything that is going on in the MCU, but it won't directly tie to it either. Right. I mean, at best case, maybe we are just the same person who's performing the role of Peter Parker and Spider-Man in the MCU movie might do the voice. Yeah, no, they, animated one. they would be silly if they didn't if, if they didn't lock that down. The fact that the Spider-Man film will be a co-Sony and Marvel production would mean that Sony would have a contract with this guy, just like Marvel does for multiple films, multiple appearances. One of those or a couple of those has got to be the animated films if they're intelligent at all. All right, uh, Kyle, uh, so that is uh, what we thought of The Age of Ultron. We hope you enjoyed it, too. If you've got feedback for us, you can always email us, uh, me and the geek at teamprocreate.com. You can find us on Facebook and Twitter and feedback to us there as well. And you and I will be back together literally in, like, two weeks to talk about Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. Yep, which I'm sure will be a crushing blow to our psyches as well as a booming excitement for what's coming next season. All right, man. Thanks so much for hanging out with us. Definitely. All right. That's Kyle Sweeney on this week's episode of Me and the Geek. I hope you enjoyed that conversation. We've got another episode coming soon uh, with me and Kyle as we're going to be covering season two of Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. that just wrapped. We're going to be talking about that in depth, and that'll be in your feed before you know it. Next week in our regular episode, we're going to be talking with Alicia Goodman about WWDC. That's the big Apple conference, the Worldwide Developers Conference, and about the Apple Watch. We're both uh, big Apple fans, and I talked to her about uh, some of the things that we think about the release of the Apple Watch and also the next coming products from Apple. So look forward to that in your feed next Thursday morning. Uh, and then the week after that, we're going to be talking finally to Aaron Corney from Maker Studios. He's also the host of The Tragic Show. It's a great podcast. He's a YouTuber and a podcaster, and I'm going to be talking to him about the difference between video and audio production. Fun stuff to come on Me and the Geek. Until next week, don't forget you can feed back to us by emailing us, geek at teamprocreate.com. You can find us on Twitter or Facebook. Just search for Me and the Geek, and you can subscribe in iTunes, in uh, Overcast, in Stitcher, just about anywhere you can find podcasts. Just search for Me and the Geek or get started at meandthegeekpod.com. Until next week, I've been me. That's Joel Sharpton at The Rogue's Life on Twitter. This week's geek was Kyle Sweeney. Kyle is funny on Twitter. And uh, this has been the podcast. One, two, three, four. Me and the Geek is a proud member of the ProCast Network, a ProCreate production. ProCreate is a community of artists in film, music, the digital arts, and fine arts that helps them connect and collaborate on projects. You can find out more at teamprocreate.com. Also, be sure to check out one of our other great shows, like Movie Buzzed. The Movie Buzzed podcast is exactly what it sounds like. It's a place for friends to get together, watch a good movie, and catch a good buzz. Every episode, your host, Zach, will be joined by a special guest or five to have some fun. Movie Buzzed is where you'll find your friends and a good buzz waiting for you.
passenger in carriage 5, please unplug your extension lead and stop charging your phone, electric toothbrush, handheld hoover and power drill on the table. Thank you. Like getting your money's worth? Enjoy the delicious mayo chicken. Just 99p from the McDonald's saver menu. <laughs> Served after 10.30am, except in selected restaurants, which will serve this from 11am. Price and participation may vary. Welcome on board, ladies and gentlemen. Could the passenger in carriage 5 please unplug your extension lead and stop charging your phone, electric toothbrush, handheld hoover and power drill on the table. Thank you. Like getting your money's worth? Enjoy the delicious mayo chicken. Just 99p from the McDonald's saver menu. <laughs> Served after 10.30am, except in selected restaurants, which will serve this from 11am. Price and participation may vary.